Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 2.42 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. So I gave out these cards that they had to read and uh, describe, like they were members of the Old Testament, such as Abraham, Sarah, Day of Atonement, Tabernacle, Wilderness, and so on. And uh, I'd left some of them behind without knowing. And my friend Beth, who's got a son called Ezra, uh, who's five years old, uh, was just like in his front room. And she texted me and she said, Alison, you'll never guess what Ezzy just said to me. I said, what? She sent me a picture of, the, of one of the words. And she said, Ezzy's just come up and said, Mom, I don't know if I could do the spellings this week at school. And she was like, Ezzy, you haven't got any spellings. And he was like, look. And it was the word Ishmael. <laughs> but I had Melchizedek at home, and I thought, I'm going to put Melchizedek down the side of the chair next week, right on the back of it. This is your homework for Christmas. And if you can spell it and tell me who he is by the end of the year, I'll give your whole family a pizza. How about that? <laughs> Deal. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been doing Hebrews, and I'm going to talk about Hebrews slightly in um, what I'm talking about today, which is in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus being the judge. And the word judge can make us either tremble with fear or think if you've been had something hard done to against you, you don't mind justice, thank you very much, because you want that person um, sorted out and put in jail if they've hurt your family or they've stolen from you or they've done something against the law. But Jesus being the judge can make some people think, ah, but he's supposed to be all kind and meek and, and lovely, but he's also the judge, and he will judge between the living and the dead, and we're going to read about that. But two months ago, I looked, I can talk about it quite freely now, two months ago I'd looked at a corpse of a man that I'd known for 40 years. He was somebody who I called dad. Uh, he wasn't somebody who I particularly warmed to for most of my life, to be honest. When I arrived at the hospital and got the call, I was alone, and I walked into the room. And five minutes earlier, he took his last breath. So I got there five minutes late, so to speak. But my first thought upon seeing this corpse was that this soul wasn't there. It was a shell of a body. My first thought was, where is his soul right now? Where is my dad? Because the soul is the whole driver of who we are. It's our will. It's our emotions. It's what causes us to spend money in a specific way or not spend money in a particular area. It's what causes us to um, choose decisions that might be wise or unwise, godly or ungodly. It's the whole makeup of who we are. And C.S. Lewis said... You don't have a soul. <laughs> what? You are a soul. He said, you have a body, but you are a soul. So the soul is what God is judging upon death. He doesn't look at the shell of the body. It might be frail. It might be young. We don't know what time we are going to die. But it is the soul that he will be judging upon death. And we can make judgments about people's lives uh, you can describe someone like Billy Graham as being a man on fire for God. That's a judgment, isn't it? You, you're looking at him. You're seeing the fruits of what he did. You're thinking, wow, he's going to make it to heaven. Because look at how many people he saved, how he used his gifting. 
but we can also make judgments about people based on bad fruits that we see in their lives. And I was on the receiving end of a lot of dad's outbursts. Um, my judgment was that he wasn't a kind man and he didn't like himself. My spiritual discernment, which I wrote in a letter to him, was that I thought he was deep in shame and he never got free of that, which is sad because he lived his whole 78 years, I believe, deep in shame. And it's sad because he was never free, in my opinion, of that. And I don't think he let many of us into his life. As a result, he put lots of barriers up. And I would never knew my dad's heart, but Jesus knew his heart, and Jesus did understand him, and he understood what he went through. So upon the last final moments of his last few minutes on earth, who knows what happened? I, I mean, at one point, he did make a decision to follow Christ. His fruit showed me that he wasn't in a great relationship, but how do I know? But God saw the condition of his heart upon death, and that's what he will do with us all. So when we talk about judging as Christians, we must be careful. There's a difference between judgment and having a judgmental attitude. God doesn't want us to have a judgmental attitude like the Pharisees. He doesn't want us to think, well, at least I'm not getting drunk every five minutes like them over there. I'm a better Christian. He doesn't want us to think like that. He wants us to think of sin as so abhorrent, disgusting, vomit-worthy and unthinkable when we, when we look at other people's sin, we also look at our own sin in the same light, to the same degree, and think, if you think it might be small, it's not, because it all put Jesus on the cross at the end of the day, like we looked at last week. Romans 3, chapter 23 says, we are all in this room sinners, and all of us in this room fall short of God's glorious standard. But that doesn't mean we think, oh, well, there's no hope then. <laughs> If I'm not good enough, then uh, I'll just carry on the way I'm, I'm supposed to. Uh, the way I feel like, no, we must still strive to be godly people because we want to do that out of obedience to him. So when we are faced with death, ourselves or with somebody we love, it really does hit home that at that point we will be judged. We will be judged. And even when I walked in the room, I was thinking, oh, it was five minutes ago. He could be being judged at this second. Oh, what's God saying to him? <laughs> what's God looking at him like? Is he like, well done, good and faithful servant, or, or not? Because there is a not. There is a place that people go when they do not believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And John 5, 27 reads, And he, that's God the Father, has given him, Jesus, all authority to judge, because he is the son of man, the only person worthy to judge you and me is somebody who's walked in our shoes on earth, who's been an actual human being on earth, who's actually empathizing with our weaknesses and understands what we've gone through, everything that we've gone through. So should we tremble with fear at the thought of judgment? No, we mustn't tremble with fear if we're Christians. Because we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's okay. You are safe. Like Noah and the ark, your family, you are safe on that boat. You're not going to be perishing. But we must come with reverence, with fear and trembling, the sense of, oh, this is a holy God. And he is the one who chooses. Obviously, we don't look at it cheaply. God is judge. 
but we don't think, oh, we can do what we like if we're believers. But if you've confessed with your mouth and you've believed in your heart that the Lord Jesus has forgiven you of past, present, and future sins, if you've said that, you believe it, and you know that he chooses to forget them, was raised to life, and is preparing a place for you in heaven, your citizenship your standing, your rightful place is seated with him because in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with him in his heavenly kingdom. That's because we belong to Christ Jesus. So with eyes of faith, we must look at this earth as so temporary and that place is so eternal and that's really where we are. We, with eyes of faith, we must see that we are already up there next to him on the throne and what is jesus doing there as we speak romans 8 34 says christ jesus who died who was raised to life is at the right hand of god and he is interceding for us we need an intercessor we need someone to be our advocate lawfully like a good solicitor you don't choose a solicitor who's not very sympathetic towards you and thinks oh i can't be bothered with her you need somebody who's rooting for you and got your back all the way. He is confessing and pleading for our forgiveness to the, to the Holy Father God because he's the perfect priest. All the Old Testament priests were not sinless like Jesus was. That's why it had to be over and over and over and over again with the animal sacrifices until eventually Jesus came as the perfect spotless lamb and only he is the best intercessor for us but he didn't leave us on earth alone when he passed on the baton to say go go and do my ministry here on earth that's what he's calling us to do go out and be me be a mini christ to the world he did not let us do it alone by faith we must remember that we have our helper our advocate that indwells you it's not just somebody over there it's within you so you can do all things through christ because you've got the holy spirit living inside of you he convicts you of sin i think that's how we know we're legitimate children of god when we know we we're sinning and it does not leave us with a good taste in our mouth whatsoever he brings us back he strengthens you and he emboldens you to go into places that you did not think you could go into. Like Charlie was saying the other day when he was in Mike Tyson's room alone and he was raging. That is a place that normally we do not want to go into. Mike Tyson's room when he's a madman. Thank you, Lord. You have to know that God is sending you into those places. Therefore, you must not fear in the sense of feeling insecure whether you're in or out of heaven because Romans 8, 16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We're going to watch a clip in a minute and it's, you might think, oh, but it's a children's story. It's a bit babyish, that, Alison. But C.S. Lewis wrote fantastic books for us that are timeless truths. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Pevensey children, the family of the four, they start with Lucy going into what's not the physical world. By faith, she chooses to believe there is something behind that door in the wardrobe. And when she walks in, who does she find? But Mr. Tumnus and others. But finally, she meets Aslan. 
And Aslan is the metaphorical figure of Jesus. Those who read that book who do not have eyes to see and ears to hear, they don't see these fantastic truths. Actually, I didn't when I was 10, and I was a Christian. But then later in life, I had to write about it at university as a, as a classic story. And I was like telling them all about how this, this, and the other matches up with the resurrection and the crucifixion. And they were like, yeah, that's quite good. That Not like I was the first person to ever realize, but I was enjoying writing that essay. By faith, they had to see that the supernatural was real. The good and the evil was battling in the heavenlies between the white witch and Aslan's army. After receiving gifts from Father Christmas, not that we mentioned him in our house, it's like, yes, Lewis, why do you have to put him in? <laughs> they are crowned sons and daughters of Narnia, and they are seated on the throne in Care Paravel. And we're going to watch that clip in a second. But it doesn't end there because they have to, they don't stay in Narnia. You and I, although we're seated in the heavenly realm right now, we mustn't think, oh, that's where we are all of the time and we've got no job to do. No, he's put us back to earth to go out and do a job. And they had a job to do in their war-torn country of England, which was in World War II at the time. See, Edmund, Lucy, Susan and Peter were always kings and queens of Narnia. And we are always heirs and heiresses of the inherited kingdom of God as well. Being seated next to Christ, or them being seated next to Aslan there, implies closeness, fellowship, intimacy, being given authority to go and have the honor of partnering with heaven, partnering in God's kingdom so we live according to the culture of that kingdom and not King Charles II's kingdom. This, we're here, but we're not part of this kingdom. We're not of this world. We are part of that kingdom that we've just seen. Christ has passed the baton to us today, the church, to reign and rule in the mess and the muddle and the madness of this broken world. So how do we live as those who rule and reign? We must be ready. They took with them their tools when they went out to battle. We must have our battle armor on as well. We carry a mantle of responsibility, not just the leaders in this room, but if you're called a Christian, you are an ambassador of Christ. You represent him here on earth. We must not lack saltiness. The Bible says, do not lack saltiness. Do not lose the taste. Do not hide your light under a bushel either. You must present it to the world. We must act ready to give an answer to every person who asks the hope that we have as Christians. Because when our king comes back, he wants to receive us to him. And he will come back. Matthew 24 verse 36 says, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. But Christ is sat next to his father, daddy. And he's ready for him to say, Go get your bride and you will come like a thief in the night the bible says so we can either be ready for death ready to share the gospel or ready for christ's return because it could well be imminent because since christ's death on the cross and resurrection we are in the last days from now we must as we've mentioned earlier posture our hearts right with god that does not mean that we will never sin it means that like King David was, he was a man that was pursuing God's heart all the time, but he, he, he did all kinds, we all know that. 
but he was continuing to confess and continuing to pursue God. Unlike King Saul, who started out anointed, God's chosen one, king of Israel, the one that God said, this is my, my anointed king, I want him. But he didn't keep going to the end. He ended his life in rebellion and rejected God. We have to keep going and going and not become stagnant and dry, as, as Neil was mentioning earlier. There was a, there's been dry spells in my life too. I know that feeling recently, to be honest. But we must dig our heels in and get back. Like the parable of the ten virgins with the lamps, five of them were ready, but five of them went out to get their oil and missed their bridegroom. Do not be a virgin without oil in their lamp. <laughs> we know that even in a marriage, things can become stagnant when we don't work at it anymore. We must work out our salvation till the very end. When we take each other for granted, like we might do with God, when we lack emotional and physical intimacy, like whatever, we must get back to the, way, the first love that we had. We must ready our hearts by examining them daily, confessing, keep a hot prayer life, read the living word of God so that the Holy Spirit will transform us from the inside out and putting off all distractions. That's some stuff that we watch on telly, that's things we read, listen to. I find it hard to not watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians and the Lord keeps telling me, do not watch it, it's worldly, but I just, yeah. I need to stop it. I have been studying Hebrews, like I said, with our life group. And chapter 3 particularly stood out to me because it was a stark reminder of what happened to the Israelites. They come out of Egypt, of all that was slavery in the, in the Egypt, in, in Egypt, and they were wandering that wilderness for 40 years. But not all of them made it into the promised land. Not all of them saw the land flowing with milk and honey. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 be careful dear brothers and sisters make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving turning you away from the living God you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God for if we are faithful to the end trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ I'm just going to skip down to verse um, 16. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Was it the people Moses led out of Egypt who made God angry for 40 years? Was it the people who sinned whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they should never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. All of our hearts in this room can become cold or hardened. We know when we stop seeing that sin as filthy, not just a joke, it should be seen as gross, vomit-worthy. It should cause us to gouge our eyes out because we don't want it in our lives. That's how we can be ready. There is an eternity waiting that's worth waiting for you. Like Christian in the very well-known book by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, he kept 
moving forwards. There were people called obstinate, people called legality, people called vainglory. There was a place called Vanity Fair where all the pleasures of the world were on display and tempted him. There was a place where there was swamp, murky waters, the, the doubting castle. There was the bit at the end with the delectable mountains. There was all sorts of things that could have pulled him back and made him turn back to the beginning. But he moved forwards. He had a friend called Faithful, but at some point in the story, Faithful died, and he had to keep going alone. But the only way he went alone was when he went up the hill of difficulty where at the top was the cross, and God loosened his burden that was upon his back, and he could keep running. There were rocky paths. There were bits you could be diverted, and sometimes he did but he came back onto the path at the end. And on his journey, he reaches what's near to the celestial city. That celestial city is a picture for us of heaven itself. All of the metaphors are used to remind us that this Christian life is paved with deep times of sorrow, but places of solace as well, because he gets picked up by different people along the way. And he actually, as we've mentioned this, this morning, reaches the water of life as well. That's also part of the story where he, he's quenched in his thirst. So that's what we are looking forward to. When we die, we have a place where we will be actually reconciled with anybody that we've had bad dealings with as well. You know, we do have these arguments on earth. If I see my dad, I won't think of these bad memories that we had together because there will be no sin and there will be no hurts and pain. We will be instantly reconciled to Jesus and to others. But that's not the first thing that happens. It's not the only thing that happens. But as Christians, the Bible says we must all also appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Corinthians, Paul talks about it, saying we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, sometimes called the beamer seat so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's sobering thought because that's like a DVD of your life as a Christian with the gifts God's given you presented to you and said, what did you do with them? Actually, did you use them wisely? Did you use them well? Or did you think, oh, that's not for me. I'm not I'm going to hide under a bushel like we were mentioning earlier. No. We are going to be shown everything and that. It's not going to be a condemnatory thing because we're not going to be thrown into hell based on that, but that is part of us as Christians receiving judgment. This means that every word, deed, gifting that we've been given, used or abused, every reaction, we will have to give an account for. So we must live. How must we live in light of that? And this is my final point. We must grow all of the time ourselves and help others to grow what's growing around you the people in your world upon your path my children are around me a lot i've got work friends uh, on a monday morning at a coffee shop they're around me who else is on my path who i know when i'm walking into witness who i stop and chit chat to what are we doing as when we taste heaven like christian did when we get tasters on earth, which we do, when we see the sick healed, when we see miracles happen, when we feel God's presence in our lives, we must bring others with us. Like he said as he was walking through those gates, that they would know, that they would know 
The, the, look at the inheritance that's waiting for them. It's, it's just amazing. You don't want people to miss out. That would be awful if they missed out. And when we come close to Jesus, it's not just our family members that we don't want to miss out. It's, it's the whole world that we come across because we love them like God loved people as well. So be an investor in people. Show them love. And part of showing love is proclaiming the truth. We mustn't forget the proclaiming the truth part because how will they know unless they, don't, unless they hear the gospel? We can spend time bringing dignity to the marginalized. We can minister healing. We can challenge hypocrisy. We can put ourselves in a place of suffering for other people. We can take authority over demonic powers. We can live humbly and sacrificially. We can give generously. But we must play our part as Christ's ambassadors. Otherwise, you miss out on fulfilling your calling and they miss out on their lives spent on earth in abundant life and in heaven. We will be rewarded for these things, though. Remember that. Not in a, look at me, I've got a bigger crown with jewels kind of way, because there won't be pride, arrogance, and jealousy in heaven at all. But it does say in Luke chapter 19, verse 17 to 19, that we will be rewarded with cities to rule over. Some will get five, some will get ten. And there are crowns of honor that the, the Bible mentions as well, as I just said. But those who do not know Christ and have said, I reject him, will have to be judged at the great white throne. And that's in Revelation 20, verse 11 to 13. Oh my goodness. John said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small. When it says he saw the dead, that means the unbelievers. When it says great and small, they were people who some of them thought that they were going on for the Lord. Look what I did in your name. Look what I um, prophesied and, and whole healings that I did. Great and small will be standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The dead in Christ who don't know him, who are not protected by him, are unsafe because they can't come into the holy presence of God and remain alive. So they cannot be in heaven. They didn't want a relationship with God on earth. So they get what they wanted. If you look at it like that, it's like, well, you had the choice. You were, you were told. People loved on you who were Christians. But you didn't choose to be with God. The evidence was clear. It's sad, but you chose that. So God's giving you what you chose in eternity. I don't think God's like this harsh, horrible man who says, get into hell, when he, when he sees this the person reach, reach the throne. <laughs> oh my gosh, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Charlie got that lovely Bible, it's beautiful. He didn't say get into hell. My books are on my stuff. Um, oh, let me just find the last page, that's all I needed. There we are. I think God is sad when he sees that somebody isn't walking with him and they have to not be in his presence anymore i think he's sad and that's what we should feel like because ultimately hell is a place where god isn't where love isn't imagine a place all of the time where those things were not you right now as a christian believer are in the closest place to hell if you think about it because we've got two wars going on on earth so we do see darkness and evil 
This is the closest you'll ever get to hell, being here. But for the, non, the non-believers, this is the closest they'll ever get to heaven, seeing Christians, seeing God's kingdom coming in places and pockets. Everything else will be worse off for them. For us, the best is yet to come. What a sobering thought again. That's why we need to tell people and make sure we take every opportunity. As, sorry, to finish... I love the fact that Jesus is the final judge because that is who he is. He's fair and he's just and we win with him in the final battle against evil. Satan will be banished forever and hell, he'll be thrown into his own hell. He won't be able to have free reign on earth anymore, he and his demons. We need a judge. Judges bring justice The evil in this world cannot continue the way it is. It will just get worse. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. It's it's as simple as that, and we we don't want to hear that there's a hell sometimes, but there is. And if we don't know that, We don't have the urgency to go out and tell people that there's a better thing coming called heaven. So to finish, you you believer are covered. You don't have to face condemnation or fear death itself. You are covered by the blood of Jesus and he will accept you upon death and upon his return. But we must be ready in every single area of our hearts We must daily ask, Lord, is there any wicked way in me that you want to expose and reveal? I just want to confess to you, I am sorry. Be hot with him, not cold and dry. And we have to keep going and growing and keep going and pursuing. And those around us must also, it's a sign of growth when others around us are growing with us because it just oozes out of us, his light. So let's, let's pray. God, I ask you to expose our hearts by your Holy Spirit. How hot are we for you? Now is the time we can come back to you and you show us grace and say, come back, my child. Like the prodigal son's father went running towards his son he saw that his heart was longing to return that's what you do to us if we need to return to you Lord we just come back now and say we're sorry we're sorry that we've put worldly passions lusts of the flesh before you we want to get right with you again because you are the great judge and we know that you love us and you want us to spend eternity with you and we don't want our hearts to be cold or hardened against the sin that's in our lives. Lord, we look forward to the future, the future kingdom being consummated, the new heaven and the new earth that is promised to us. We look forward to that. And we know, Lord, that we could be taken at any second, that this this consummation could happen tonight, in the next hour. So we must be ready. 
And Lord, help us to go out in power and all authority because you've sent us to go, go back and tell people like you did with the children of Narnia. You had to go back. Lord, you, you tell us that we must show the goodness of, of heaven to others. Don't hide it. Help us not to hide it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.